<laughs> what happened there, Todd? That's the shortest one ever. Oh, was it? Did it pop off? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Alright guys, Woo! I'm moving closer to the router. That was a fun one tonight. <laughs> hey guys. It sure is. My, name, my name's Craig, Crafty. I'm moving. <laughs> There's nothing like going wrong. Moving closer to the router. <laughs> We've got someone we're going to introduce shortly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once he's calms his farm a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're live now, John. You're yeah, good, we're mate. well live. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Um, welcome. Welcome. This is uh, Shooting the Shit, uh, Aussie Craft Distillers, and um, we're pretty loose. <laughs> and, uh, it's it's going to be a good one today. tonight. <laughs> so... Um, uh, tonight uh, we're, we're missing we're missing the engine room of, of shoot the yeah. shit. Where the, the guy the technical issues left, right, and centre. Bostic lost his stick. <laughs> From uh, an IT perspective and and input. Uh, it's me. Loop. So tonight we're in the capable hands, the capable hands of the top, my right hand man who uh, does not profess to be an IT expert. And uh, we will uh, we will see how we go. The, 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 the shoulders. And now it's time for Throw the Todd under, under, under the Bus. Yeah, we might let you off that in future because I reckon this is going to be a year's work tonight. <laughs> well, All right. Let's do it now because the whole thing's going to be this way from moving forward anyway so let's kick it off okay so um at the on my screen on the top right is mr robbie tugnock robbie how are you mate oh i'm going good guys how are you thanks for having good, me good you're looking looking pretty relaxed there oh yeah i'm pretty relaxed i'm pretty, pretty relaxed, relaxed. Guy, i suppose <laughs> so robbie is, is, is a very um very busy, busy man. He's, he's got his fingers in quite a few things, and we'll, we'll run through that shortly. Um, and at the bottom of the screen, we have John Carberry all the way from Scotland, uh, coming in hard on the cooperage side. And uh, John's got a bit of a story to tell about what he's been doing in the past and, and what's going in the future. And we'll, we'll get bits of John throughout the, throughout the session. So when he's on, we might jump straight into questions, John, and grab him while we can. I think. So anyway, let's let's kick it off. So the first thing we do is um, let's what's what's everyone drinking? What's everyone got in their glass? So Robbie, what are you drinking, mate? Um, currently, I've got a couple of things going on. I've got um, one of my favourite beers from um, the Hop Hen Brewery in Lillardale in the Yarra Valley, Victoria. Um, it's nice. a smoked porter Ooh, at five percent, nice. and it yep. um, it pairs really well with my um, Barrel House Twenty Eight. Oh, shiver me timbers! There we go, Barrel House Twenty Eight um, Warrabilla Giraffe um, Cask um, Single Cask Whiskey. 
Oh, God. I've got to get rid of this bloody background, don't I? Um, yeah, so a, a smoked porter from a local um, a, a local brewery and um, one of our independent bottlings, 20, uh, Barrel House 28. All right. Okay. And what do you got, Todd? Uh, I'll start off with, with our, our friends from um, Flinders Island, Ferno. Ferno, yep. Nice drop that. It's coming through. It's, um, yep. it's their single malt peated. What's, what's uh, it lasting pretty well. Yeah. And then I'll probably finish the night off with, with my other friends from Blackgate tonight. So this is Black, Blackgate um, 95. 95. Yeah, the petered one. Yeah, yep. yep. The petered one. All right. Well, I'm probably just going to stay on one tonight. And funny enough... It's Blackgate 95. Blackgate 95. Just so yeah. happened... I wanted something out of New South Wales, and uh, it's a, a very, very tasty drop indeed. So uh, going with that. All right. Well, let's, yeah, before, let's before we even get started, guys. I've got to do something real quickly. Um, yep. Sorry to interrupt. I've got to um, whack on a. I um I got dared, I got dared to put on a jumper, by a couple of my <clears throat> distilling friends. And I know that if I, so this was, um, I got, I got dared to, I, I got told I wouldn't wear this by my good friends, um, Josh Walker and Lee Atwood. Um, yeah. Josh is from, um, uh, the Tim Buller or whatever they called the, the, the distillery mm-hmm. down there. In, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that one. And, that and Lee's from, um, the, uh, Yak and Tim Buller or somewhere. Any in there, anyway, both in Victoria, somewhere around there, and um, <laughs> they dared me to wear this. Um, uh, anyway, here I am, I've got it on, and hopefully, they're having a laugh and um, enjoying yeah, the I night. Don't know why you're a, I don't know why you're wearing a sweaty of crafty, though, it's just uncanny. <laughs> nah, um, Josh is over in Ireland at the moment, and um. Yes. I think he's watching it with a few of our colleagues over there and um, they'll be having a good laugh at my expense, which is good. Um, so, yeah, there we go. I've done it, boys. Here, we, here it is. They know I like my fried chicken. As you can tell, well, you don't keep a body like this without eating fried chicken. So, <laughs> Good news, Robbie. We can't see your body, mate. We, we've got your head <laughs> and your shoulders and that's it. So you, you're in safe territory. Good as gold. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's. Um, well, I'm going to pour. So, yeah, independent right bottler, Cooper, <laughs> uh, owner of distillery. Um, yep. Tell us, where did it all start? What were you doing before you got into this game? Yeah, I'm, I'm busy now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, completely different. Uh, well, I've, I've got to take you back a little while if I explain it. So, I started my life after school in. in business and sales um uh so that that was my my first um uh, my first foray into into the working life was sales and business uh i sold small electrical appliances into retailers um and then i did that for about four or five years and then i became a police officer i was a copper for um 13 years um until in 2000 and 18 
I, I, I broke my back, fractured my back, L, L4 and L5 vertebrae, and I had to have some surgery. And I was laying in bed, um, and I was going a bit crazy because I'm not the type of person, as you can tell, that likes to sit still for too long. Um, and my wife, Alana, said to me, you need to, you need to do something. Um, you're going to be uh, laying around for a while trying to recover, so you need to keep your mind simulated. You need to do something. I said, well, what am I going to do? I was a bit down in the dumps. Um, and she said, you need to start writing uh, writing or something you can do from your position. So <clears throat> the only thing I knew was whiskey. Right. I've been collecting, been collecting single malt whiskey since I was 17, which I know is illegal, but I, I got given my first bottle of Ardbeg by my father for my 17th birthday. And then I started collecting single malt whiskey um, since then. So now I've got, you know, sort of, I don't like to say this number in, shot of my wife but I probably, I probably got 300 400 bottles of single malt whiskey and then about oh i guess sort of eight years ago i decided to start collecting exclusively um eight to ten years ago i started exclusively australian single malt whiskey or australian whiskey and that got me um involved and and talking to and knowing all the distillers and um distillery owners and whatnot because it's a it's a small tight-knit community right like our industry it's a wonderful um it's a wonderful industry and, and I, look i don't even like to call it an industry i'd like call it a community it is it's community and we all help each other and i got to know everyone and anyway so back to 2018 i started writing a blog about um australian uh, whiskey and, and whiskey news around the world and it it took off um, and um, uh, and then I made a website and the website was so popular that it crashed and um, long story short is after getting to know all the distillers um, they all had the same issue and that was finding really good quality casks at a you know um, reasonable price with with a transparent seller so I went well you know, I'll take my business and sales background, and and um and I'll I'll fill this gap, which I did um uh, at, at a time when not everyone was doing it, and um and and I, I think you know we've had exponential growth, and it's probably due to the fact that you know everyone knows with me when you when you're dealing with um, barrel brokers or you're dealing with Robbie that you get what you what's written on the can, you know, like I am who I am, I, I don't. Um, I don't um, say things that aren't are what they aren't, and, and if you have a problem, I, I fix it. And I'm, I'm about yeah. So I guess that's resonated with with the with the tight knit community that we're in. And um, here I am, um, you know, um, what five, six six years on, um, Barrel Brokers um, Australasia is is now we've got um, three sites. One the, our head office where I am in. Lillardale, the Yarra Valley, um, one up in Corowa, which is where our Coobridge site is and where John Carberry um, that we've bought out from Scotland is based. And then we've just opened one in New Zealand. So now we're selling into, into New Zealand as well. So um, we've grown, like in, in six years, we've grown to a place where now it's a, a wonderful, thriving, um, but still local and um, family-owned business. So, yeah, that's the barrel side of things. So, okay, question for you then. So how did you build your knowledge uh with barrels um drinking whiskey is one thing knowing something yeah. about wood is a completely different animal altogether and it's not something you can just pick up uh, quickly it's a lot of it is you know experience of course so how did how did you approach it were you quite methodical in your approach yeah i'm a reader 
So I, I do a lot of learning through reading uh, and a lot of um, learning through touching and feeling. So whilst, whilst I was out at, you know, I'm, I'm researching barrels and what makes a good barrel and what makes a good whiskey and, and, and how that barrel correlate, correlates with the spirit um, in books. Uh, but then also um, I was at, in that role of writing, I was in distilleries almost every day. Um, and I was looking at what um, distillers classed as good barrels and what they classed as non. You know, they, they weren't getting good results out of. And I just, yeah. I just learnt through doing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just worked my way through it, and and now we're here. You know, here we are. We're we're um, dealing with the best quality um, producer of barrels from Spain, the US. Um, France and um, and all around the world and um, and our discerning I guess our discerning barrel selection and our exclusivity with the suppliers overseas is, is sort of what sets us apart I guess um, yeah. yeah and you you obviously invest the time because uh, that's who you are in, in relationships so you you've built these relationships forged these relationships um, by it would have been quite difficult through COVID times I would imagine but. Pre-COVID, were, were you um, travelling around much? Yeah, so pre-COVID was when I was in distilleries, um, you know, yeah. every every week. Um, during during COVID, it was hard. You know, I, I remember saying to someone, even at the, the, the most recent ADA conference, you know, how, how wonderful it was just to see people again. So we took a stall at the ADA conference, um, and it was, it was great. It was a great event. It was a fantastic event. Yeah. Well run. Um, and everyone says, "Oh, the first question everyone asked at that event was, oh, have you got your value out of the out of the event?'" And I said, "Oh, for me, it wasn't about value. It wasn't about business value. It was about seeing everyone again. You know, it's so great to have everyone in in one room and be able to talk to everyone and see everyone again. It was it was um, it was sort of euphoric. It was it was amazing. It was it was you know, um, we we had great growth during COVID. Obviously, it gave." I mean, the liquor industry was one of the industries where, um, I guess, it gave people time to level out um, and um, actually look at, at, at their production. Um, and, um, and also, people were at home drinking, so I guess it had, we had a spike in sales. Um, so, and and a, a spike in sales of spirits is obviously a correlation in spike of barrels. Um, yeah. So we had growth, but that physical connection between um, us and the customer, you know, that, that lacked and it's great to be back there now. We're, we're really happy that we're out speaking to people and seeing people again and, you know, shaking hands and um, it's, a, it's a good time. It's a good time now, yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's, um, it, it's, you're right about the, um, the ADA conference. Um, yeah, the, the thing that really hit me was the, the sense of relief and the sense of energy and optimism. That, that, that were the, the two big takeouts that, that I took out from, from the conference. It, um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it was an amazingly run event, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I mean, you talk about conferences and when you've got alcohol involved, and that's the, the drive behind the conference. Mm. Uh, it's good anyway, isn't it? Oh, there's definitely a positive vibe throughout the whole weekend, so mm. it was good to see. Yeah, yeah. No, Absolutely. It, it went very quickly too. Yeah. So you you um, you spent a lot of time, uh, you know, during the conference, uh, meeting new people, or was it was it 
mainly catching up with people that you knew and hadn't seen for a while. Well, oh, it, was a, it was a really good mix. It was a great mix. Yeah. Like, look, we're, we're, we're now like, at, a, at a stage, at a, at a point where we're supplying sort of 200 um, distilleries and breweries. Right. So a lot of the customers that were there were uh, were existing customers that it was great to see again that we haven't seen in two years. But there was a great deal of um, of, of new um, clientele there that were great to just come up and have a chat. Whether they ever buy a barrel from me or not is not, I mean, I guess, you know, <laughs> I guess it should be our prerogative, but it, really it's just the discussion and this this industry is a love for me, you know. Like, to, to be involved in this is... Um, is a dream. Every day is a dream. <laughs> that sounds so cliche. <laughs> it sounds so cliche, but it, I mean, it is. You know, like I got a business partner, um, uh, Barney, that I've known since we're three years old, and honestly, I wish he was here because he's more of a realist than I am. I'm sort of a sensationalist, but he's a realist. But um, there's not too many days I don't look at him and go, "We're living the dream, mate." Like you know, this is great. Um, so it was just good to see people and just talk to them about about spirits and about you know we were talking about rum and gin and um, and whiskey and brandy and um, bloody snaps and it was just and beer and it was it was just great it was just good to talk to people again face to face and and um, and and discuss the stuff that we're really that we love uh, you know yeah. the reason why we're in this industry. It was, it was a wonderful event. I, I really enjoyed myself. Well, one one thing that I find you know, with things like that is, you know, you can have uh, two people that are thinking a different way, but when you start talking and opening up and they open up uh, and becomes quite collaborative, um, new things are created, aren't they? New ideas are created. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and of that's, course. Oh, every time really that you and me get on the piss crafty. <laughs> Right, there's not too many. You know, we don't come out every time we get together. We come out with ideas. You know, um, it's the same with everyone. You know, um, yeah. it's the same with everyone. We always come out with ideas. It's 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 a yeah. It's um it's it's awesome. I I, I love getting to as many events um in this community as I can. It's um it's uh it's good times, and you know the world's a bit topsy turvy at the moment. It's a bit uncertain, but I know where we're going. You know, and when I say we, I'm not talking about Barrow Brothers Australasia. I'm talking about our community, our industry. I know where we're going. It's um, we're we're all soaring, and it's um, it's good times. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's. Um, I mean, things have changed. The the landscape has changed since COVID. The world's changed, obviously. Um, but there's opportunities which have opened up um, out of it as well, isn't there? Mm. You're, you're talking very much about that sort of thing. Just one thing I want, to, I want to touch on on barrels because you mentioned it, and I'm quite intrigued. Uh, so you mentioned brewers. So are you are you seeing more and more brewers now that that are interested in barrel aging uh, beer? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I know that um, uh, Aussie craft distillers shooting the shit isn't the, isn't the time or place to get really. Um, Technically businessy, yeah, <laughs> but I guess yeah. I guess at, at, at you know to answer your question really um, quickly uh, is that I guess probably breweries and barrel aged beer is our our largest growth corridor, um, our quickest largest growth corridor. Yeah, right. um, uh, you know, there's 
there's three to one. Yeah, we, we, we talk about this, you know, people say there's a lot of distilleries around. There's three, four to one breweries to every distillery. Um, and a lot of them are doing barrel-aged barrel aged beers, which you know, I love <laughs> personally. I'm a big fan of a barrel-aged Imperial Stout or something like that. So it's great, you know, it's a, a passion, but it's also a massive growth corridor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's you know, a market that we get into. I guess at Barrel Brokers, we, we don't tend to um, – well, so far we haven't got involved too heavily in the winery market in that space um you know spirits is my sort of um where i have my most knowledge um i have a little bit of knowledge around brewery and beer um and despite the fact that i come from a family of winemakers or, or, or wine around and winemakers I'm, I'm, spirits has always been my forte so that's where i sort of stick in that that known um yeah. so that I guess it was probably detrimental to us at the start, but now it's um, shone through in the in the relationship we made for staying out of that space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and breweries is a is a, is going to be a large part of our business going forward, definitely. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's good. You you got uh, multiple streams there, so it's good. Hey, it looks yeah. like we've got um, we've got a Scotsman on the on the on the screen. Yeah, is he back? Let's grab him quick. You there, John? Well, I've, I've, I've actually plugged the hard wire into the back of my wife's computer this time. I've been bouncing about the place, so uh, hopefully I'll not get kicked off. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell everybody who I am. I'm obviously John Carr was the name says there. I'm a third generation Cooper and uh, going back to my grandfather back to the early 1900s. So there's there's my grandfather taught my uncle, my uncle taught my cousin, my cousin taught me, and I taught my brother. So it's a bit of a family affair. I just but every member of my family's worked in the whiskey industry or still works in the whiskey industry now. Um, my father was a warehouse manager and my brother, as I say, is a cooper. The only, the, the only person in my family that's kind of straight away from the cooper is my son. He's a coppersmith, so he makes the stills. He followed my father-in-law into the, the, the craft. So uh, I says to him, you make the stills, I'll make the barrels, and we'll open my distillery, son. And he says, right, right, Dad. So <laughs> here I am. I got asked by Robbie to come over a couple yeah. of years ago. And obviously, this COVID, this virus thing slowed things down quite a bit. Uh, but I'm here now. I'm looking forward to the what the future brings. Um, loads of barrels, hopefully. Yeah. Well, not hopefully. There will be. Um, so I'm and just looking. We've just did some interviews for some people at the moment to try and get some uh, people on board. Looking to take on quite a few apprentices, train a lot of people, and try and help the the distil all these distillers out there, all these guys. Yeah. So what, what's, the, what's the cooperage that you you're working with? It'll be Murray River Cooperage, uh, based right next door to uh, Karoa Distillery. Um, once we get that up and running, uh, we'll be servicing a lot of the distilleries. And wineries round in a, the, the, anywhere that will take barrels from us or casts from us. Um, so, what, as I said earlier on, I hope to take, uh, train quite a few apprentices, bring some new coopers into the, the equation, something that you sorely need over here from what I'm being seeing. So, uh, it's all going to be quite exciting. Yeah, no, it, it sounds it. I mean, and you've, you've come on the scene when. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of activity, a lot of growth, 
Um, I mean, we've got more more distilleries than Scotland, I hear. Um, haven't had anyone challenge that one yet. Have you, Robbie? No. Anyway, so sorry, buddy. I, was on, uh, I had a problem with my earplugs. But um, no, I, I, no, I haven't. Um, I'd probably believe it. Um, I think we're up to over 400 now. Um, well, well over 400. Yeah. Well over 400, yeah. But we still, um, uh, we produce, we produce um, less than what Scotland spills on the floor. That's always the, uh, the line <laughs> that we're holding. That... Well, you know, they're not wrong. Well, you're producing you know, really good spirit, really good whiskey over here because of your temperature changes and whatnot. You're, you're bringing you're bringing really good quality whiskey in a shorter space of time um, to the forefront because the whiskey they've tasted here so far are really good for the the age statement that, that goes with them. It's, they're quite impressive. So, uh, as I said, I said earlier on, I'm looking forward to working my way around all the Australian distilleries. It's going to take me a while, but um, I'm looking forward to tasting them all because I like a dram. <laughs> Might be putting in a few lead passes there, Robbie. <laughs> oh, it's okay. We're we're looking at doing a um. Well, we're not looking at doing. It. We are going to do a travelling um cooperage service. So I'm I'm I have no doubt he'll probably visit more than half of them. Yeah, mm. it'd be good. <clears throat> so what, what was the question off the floor? Um, oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, just going going to John. So I'll just bring it up. It's from Bill. Yep. How many how many apprentices do you plan to take on? Um, well, money is needed. I, I've, I've taught I've taught over I've taught over twenty five apprentices. I've helped teach over twenty five apprentices over the last eighteen years. So we're hoping to take on quite a lot. Um, obviously, we're going to do it in phases. Um, we've not actually sat down and spoke, but we're we're we're, we're Plan on taking on a couple of guys pretty shortly, maybe three, and then we're, yeah. we're going to do it in stages. Because if you're if you start to, if you take on too much, it dilutes the process. So usually about three or four to start, and then get them to a, a certain level where the, their their competency gets better. Then you can take on another two, say, and then you you, you work in the, the two at a time phase, and then you you can use the older apprentices in the equation and. Uh, it's all about kind of teach them so, the new apprentices so much, and then you, you kind of you would repair a barrel at a certain part, and you would say right, finish it to get them to think about the process instead of doing it from start to finish all the time, just fling things in like halfway through or three quarters of the way through to get them thinking, and then you would pass things on through the the, the age statements of the the, the apprentice uh, that are there. So mm -hmm. um, at most at one time I've had twelve apprentices at one time. And it, I can do it. It can be done, but you, you need a hundred percent commitment for them, and it's not going to be easy. There's a lot to remember. There's a lot to digest. Um, as you know, Cooper's been a closed shop for many, many years. But it's a shame. Now it's getting to the point where all the secrets are getting shared now. <clears throat> can't keep any secrets. Go past the sun, or it's lost forever. So no. there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, good information that I've got. I've learned. I've been doing it for in the, the trade for 32 years, and I'm still learning. But um, there's a lot of things that I need to pass on and make sure that it doesn't disappear. Mm. I've, I've worked with some really good coopers in the industry: brewery coopers, distillery coopers, um, and uh, 
the, the guy I was working with recently down in Yorkshire, Alistair Sims, and a, a, another gentleman, uh, Jonathan Mamby and um, David Poulter. David worked for Sam Smith for 42 years, and Alistair worked for Theakstons and Wadworths. And so I got to know the, the brewery side of it a wee bit. There's not much a difference between brewing and distilling. The barrel sizes are different. Um, but um, the, the, the knowledge that they had, and, it's, and they've given me a lot of literature going back to like the early 1900s and everything. I know it, this might not seem relevant, but it's small snippets of really useful things to be kept and passed on and skill sets. And so hopefully I'll get the opportunity to, and we can find some good candidates out there. Well, it's much. It's not a forever. No, it's not. It, it, it's much needed in the industry. I mean, you, you talk to um, oh, a couple other uh, people uh, in Australia, and they're all preaching the same thing that you know need to invest in in structure and and um, apprenticeships uh, for the future. Because um, yeah, yeah, if if we don't have good wood, Aye. we don't make good whiskey. That's yeah, it's a no. It's yeah, a no-brainer, it's crafty. You know, as, as I've said, um, as you know, I've been involved in the process of bringing the the um, Cooperage apprentices back. You know, for the last two years, I've been I've been banging that drum both um, state and federal parliaments. I know you and I have talked about this in depth at um, at, the, at those nights at uh, up at, up at Dean's joint. But yeah, um, yeah I've, been, I've been banging that drum so hard with state and state and local, um, uh, you know. Parliament, with because at the end of the day, we've increased from 2018 having 150, 200 distilleries, and we've doubled that, you know, in the last six years. Yeah, hmm. most of the, you know, a majority, a majority of them is are making brown spirits, and the and and the politicians say, or the, or the leaderies say that um, if you want to make produce brown spirits, whether it's whiskey, rum, or um, or brandy that it has to be aged in a barrel for two years. Well, we're, we're how are we how are we securing this? Um, how are we securing those barrels? Right. So, about uh, twelve months ago, I put my business cap on and started talking to these uh, parliamentarians and saying to them, "Well, what sort of revenue does does our excise tax bring to you per year?" Right. Yeah. You got to speak to them in terms they know. We looked at those numbers and we said, well, what happens if that disappears? Well, why would it disappear? Well, because you, the law says that we have to age it for two years in, in a barrel, right? Well, what happens if those barrels disappears? And they will. <laughs> they will, I guarantee you. I'm a barrel salesman. Well, two, um, if we don't train more coopers, if there's no one making barrels here, they will disappear. They will. America is struggling to supply now. French oak. France is struggling to supply. We are not in the 80s. Yeah. We're not in the 90s. We're in 2022. And if we don't secure our own future here, mm -hmm. right, you, you can kiss the excise tax goodbye because there's not going to be people producing because they can't produce it. They can't age it. So, and, and, and they really sat up straight in their chairs when you start talking figures and they go, oh, shit, okay, how, how are we going to fix this? Yeah, right? yeah. And what helped get John yeah. here? There were struggles during COVID, and then and then we got the um, apprenticeship scheme reinstated into the furniture making. Well, it's, it's not an apprenticeship, but it's a certificate within the furniture making apprenticeship. And now we're still beating the drum, getting it standalone. It needs its own standalone apprenticeship. That's that's all there is to it. We need coopers 
Um, and, and and I think well, I don't think I know. Eventually, we're going to get it over the line, and we're going to and we're going to keep pushing them until we do. And to answer Bill's question, we'll take as many Coopers as we can, as many as we can, because we want to secure this industry. We love this industry, um, as I've said from the start, and and we don't want to see any gap in the supply chain. We want everyone to thrive. Um, so we're going to do everything we can from start to finish to make sure that we can get as many Coopers and trained as we can. So that's all there is to it. Yeah. And you, yep. you also it's mentioned so long, it's a long going mobile as well. Yes. Um, yeah, of course, mobile, of course. Which would be very attractive because majority of distilleries are in rural locations. Um, yeah. And decentralised. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a logical step. It's a logical step, right? Um, for for too long, and I don't, I'm not, I'll never say a bad word about anyone, whether it's my competitors or my friends, right? Like it's, but for too long, we've been sending barrels from um, regional New South Wales, regional Victoria, Victoria, or Sydney, or you know, over to the Brosser to be coopered. It has, it's been too long, right? Freight charges now are crazy. Um, that's enough's enough, right? So um, let's let's capture that local market and um and help and help people you know just help you know if we can get out there and a repair cast on site and we can save your freight there and back then we'll we'll do it um obviously no one's in business to lose money you're not i'm not no one is so it has to be cost effective to everyone but that's a service we're absolutely wanting to provide um you know and also Moreover, the, the, bridging that gap between distiller and cooper, you know, teaching you the skills you need to be able to repair the leaking cast that you have at the time, so you're not, yep. you know, um, so you're not losing product yep. until we can get there and we can repair it properly. Um, John can get there and shave out staves and replace staves or headboards or whatnot. You know, you can fix it so that you you lose the the, the minimum amount of product that you can until we can get there. We want to bridge that gap. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the trailer is in the process of being constructed at the moment for the on-the-road uh, repairing and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. we're, we're just about there. Yeah. The mobile good, bridge. John, John is fitting it out as we speak. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of fitting the trailer up just now. But uh, even back in Scotland, it was good to get the apprentices out of school now again. They go out and they meet the, they go to the different sites, the repair casks and the warehouse or old spirit stores and different sites and whatnot. So it was good for them to get out and learn a little bit different, doing it on, on the road and repairing, uh, putting new heads in casks that were full of whiskey, standing upright without losing any content. It was all quite interesting to show them this kind of thing. It's not the kind of thing they would learn in the apprentice school. So uh, there's a whole diverse uh, system that... Yes. Uh, it's yeah, school. very very comprehensive. So, John, how did how did how did you how did Robbie get in touch with you, or vice versa? And and John, John's dropped off again. Oh no, he's back. He's back. He's back. Oh, you there? You there, John? Yeah. That's losing his signal oh. again. Even though I'm hardwired in, it's. There's clearly something wrong with internet. Yeah, we can hear you. So. Yeah, we can we can hear you. So yeah, 
So how, how did you two get together, Robbie and you, and how did Robbie entice you to come out? I mean, it's a long way to come, as you, as you well know. Mm. Um, and yeah. for a couple of years, you couldn't come out. Well, I was, I was just actually surfing the net one night. I was on Instagram, and I got a message from Robbie saying, do you not fancy coming uh, to help help, uh, help us open a cooperage and stuff? And I was like, aye, that's if the wife was for it, I'd be right here the other night. And uh, my wife said, uh, yeah, just you go across and send me back your wedges. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> says, no, says, if I was going to do something, I wouldn't do it without you. And she says, well, I think you should go for it because I think it would be a really good adventure. Mm. So that was the start. Mm. That's what that's one. And uh, with the help of Robbie and Dean and uh, other boys, uh, they've, done, they've been amazing to get us over here. Um Treated us amazingly, and I'm very humbled to be sitting here at the moment and talking to you, and hopefully being part of your the Australian distilling and future, and working with you all, preparing the cast for you sometime in the future. And you, um, you arrived just recently. So as we we're talking about before, before we went live, um, yep. originally you were coming out what two years ago. And you were gonna, you were gonna hit the deck, and it would have been temperatures and Cora. What do you reckon, Robbie? 40, 40 high forties. Oh, 40, Forty-five. Yeah, from when we, when we put the um the visa application in, and we thought that he was gonna actually be wheels up and land here. We thought he was gonna land at like the peak of summer in um in Cora. We thought he was gonna land here from minus two degrees in Scotland and and land in forty-five degrees. In the middle of New South Wales uh, heatwave, heat so it would have been a really quick learning bell curve. <laughs> that would have been that would have been um, quite a an experience. Of I don't think I've ever been in that type of heat, but uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting when the summer comes round. Anyway, I'll have factor It's coming, buddy. Everyone. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm, I'm slowly. It's like when you the old saying: if you if you fling a frog into boiling water, it'll jump back out again. But if you just sit at it and you simmer them and get up to the temperature, it'll just sit there. Uh, so I'll take my while to get used to it. I think. You reckon you're going to be a slow poach, do you? Hey, <laughs> 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 I'll have plenty, oh, I'll have plenty with, of the, with that. With that head, I don't reckon it's going to be slow. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting, aye. Aye, so, and plus if you're firing casks and you're charring casks, that'll, that'll make it interesting as well with that heat. Oof, yeah. But it's like that, back in the couple of cooperages I've worked in Scotland where it was tin roofs and in this, and they used to actually paint the roofs black with bitumen to stop them from leaking. And it was quite a low roof and in the summertime the coopers used to just have their leather apron on, a pair of shorts and their boots. That was it. The sweat was pouring off you and then you had you had fires to the side of you with 10-foot flames, three of them belting the heat out all day. But it was just one of the things you just had to sweat band on and just get on with it. Yeah, oh. It's a different world, isn't it, Robbie? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like we were talking about, yeah, like um, John landed on a Monday or a Sunday and we we flew to Sydney on uh, the Wednesday or something. I took him out of his comfort zone. We just jumped straight on another plane. Yeah. And I took him up to Sydney. And on the plane right over there, I was just talking about, you know, just we were just talking about our differences and the difference between the UK and Australia and 
differences in language and 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 I'd just come back from the US. We're talking about subtle differences, you know. It's all the same, you know. We're all the same breed. We're all humans, and we all build the same. But it's just subtle. It's just everything's subtle differences, right? Yeah. Um, that's what I learned from the from the US. It was like, oh, okay, you're right. That's how you do things. It's it's sort of the same, but not. You know, it's sort of like home, but it isn't. You know, it's um, we're not too dissimilar. But um, when uh, I got John involved in a in a in a group chat with my brother, who's a fabricator, we're trying to get him to some tool up tool up some machinery for us and um john was banging on about something and, and i knew that my brother michael would have no idea what he was talking about so i sort of translated for him and said this is what this is what he means <laughs> <laughs> i was lucky enough to work with a lot of um scottish and irish um people in my last yeah, job so i write messages on on my, my, my phone i write them scottish phonetics um, I write them exactly how it sounds like to me. Um, there's a message. Do, do, do you need? We need you. Exciting times for all. Do you still do the Cooper's induction at the end of the apprenticeship? Cheers from the Barossa. Well, I was talking to a gentleman about that earlier on today. Um, I think the company I worked for, Diageo, they ended up Diageo. Um, they stopped all of that. Uh, they said it was a health and safety issue, but Speyside Cooperage in Scotland still do it. Um, but over here, yep, the apprentices are getting it. Yep, it's good. If it's part and parcel of the, the, the experience, um, why not? You've got to keep your tradition in some part. It's, it's a small part of the tradition, which makes it fun. Doesn't have something to do with the tar, is it? Well, tar and feather was the old saying, yeah, but it's just basically <laughs> remnants from the, the, days, the days production, sawdust and water and... Some of the, if you get, you get some of the byproducts from the distillation process and just flinging it over a head and making a noise and rolling them about the floor and oh, yes, in the yes, drama yes. at the end, yeah, 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 it's, it still gets done as I say in Scotland with some cooperages, but uh, as I say, it becomes a health and safety issue with some of the bigger players and they're just too frightened in case somebody puts a claim in. So, oh. but I, I would like, oh, to, I, I'd like to keep I, up. To, I have to prompt. A, I have to prompt a story. I'm going to do your job, um, Todd and Crafty, and prompt a story okay. from John that he told me on the plane flight over to Sydney about. Um, so what I what I, I obviously I knew John and I had been in contact with his employee for like the last two years. We're trying trying to get him over. I know everything about him, um, but I didn't I didn't realize I didn't realize how little he was. Oh, he's quite dying, he's quite short. Yeah, you know, until we until I met him and I. Um, anyway, but he was telling me, so that's a segue into telling that story that, about when you're on the um, on the butts line and you had to ask to go over to the to the ASBs because you couldn't couldn't quite reach. Ah, uh, well, the butts are one point three meters and I'm only five foot four, eh? So I can repair them; it's not a problem. I just kind of repair them as fast as the bigger boys, the taller laddies. <laughs> but I, I used to always have a like a wee aluminium step under my bench. That I just drag out, <laughs> and I would stand on it, so I could I could add the cask standing up instead of having to pull this twenty stone cask over and lean it against my bench, and then add it and then stand it back up. So if I could do as little as possible as in the physical moving of the cask, hey, I was and the boys were all slagging me, but I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm finishing before you, so I reckon what the problem is. <laughs> That's right, mate. Um, Adapt and overcome. Adapt uh, and overcome. 
<laughs> yeah, that's it. I just say to him, look, it says to the gaffer, look, I'm getting too old for this, pulling these things around, uh, doing PBR. I says, can I go into the SB shop and get in? He says, I ain't bother, he was fine. And he let us go across there and we just get, even although I'm, I'm not as fast as most of the other laddies and the younger boys, they just fly right past you. But I would try and do about 25 a day. And these guys, the younger boys, are doing 35 and 40 barrels a day repairs. And but the moral, the moral of the story is, gents, that um, we've got a we've got a um, a hardworking man now that's been on the ASB line. And if you, you know, yeah. if you if you want to know something about um, if you want to know something about bourbon barrels that that um, barrel brokers is bringing in, and we've got them, yeah, right? we've got them yeah. in plentiful. Uh, Amounts, and if you want to know yeah, something worked, about them, the John doesn't It's not worth knowing, right? So, any yeah. distillers that are watching, um, if you want, you, you know where to buy your, your bourbon barrels from, and if you want to know an, an expert point of view from someone that's worked on them for thirty-five years in in the largest uh, in the largest area of use in the world, producing the most whiskey, then then um, get on to John yeah. because uh, he's not, there's no answer he can't uh, give you. Oh. Yeah, I've repaired them all from bottle-sized casts right up to butts and uh, bodega butts, port pipes. I've repaired them all and made a living out of it. Um, I spent most of my career, I worked in a cooperage called Cash Bridge Cooperage, which was a, a, a rebuild line where the ASBs would come across flat pack and we'd rise them back up again and enlarge them to 55 gallon, 250 litre hogsheads, put new yeah. heads in them and new hoop iron and whatnot. And uh, we kind of went away from that because the, the 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 amount of cast that was in the system needed rejuvenated. So then it went to rejuvenation of all casts of all sizes, uh, removing the heads, shaving them, toasting them, charring them, putting the heads back in, sealing them, all that kind of thing. So it's been I've, I've basically been in an industry where it's all bonus or fast moving repairs, where there's time scales and that, but the quality can't suffer. Um, mm. So. You've got to basically still put out good quality cast, but you've got to do it quicker than your average cooperage. Uh, so you learn a lot quicker doing it that way. I just um, realised that a lot of people listening, John, something won't something. I just we will I do. just realised a lot of a lot of um, people listening, John, won't know what an ASB is. So an ASB is an American Standard Barrel or a bourbon or a first use bourbon barrel, right? Um, just so, just clearing that up for people. ASBs are an, an American standard barrel or a first use bourbon barrel. And 200 yeah. litres? Yeah. yeah, they're the most common yeah. now anyway because of the flavour profile yeah. everybody's looking for. Years ago, it was Diageo or other companies edging to group that. They wouldn't really, they, they, would, they would use ASBs, but they would also use hogsheads because it was it wasn't so intense. Oh, it depends on what the, the distiller or the, 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 the brewer wants or the, the Usually the distiller is the one that dictates the flavour profile and he's the guy that... So if I, if, I, if he comes up to me and says, I want a cask to produce this kind of... This is the spirit. So I'm wanting a cask with this toast, this char. Can you give me it that, please? And duplicate it 100 times and all that kind of thing. So at the end of the day, we, we need the distiller. The distiller needs us. We've got to work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, very, very, very much so. so I mean... Uh, the relationship between a distiller and, and a cooper is very important and the information flows both ways. Um, that, that's, that's been my experience in the past is giving feedback back to Cooper. Um, and I, I imagine, 
you know, for, for, the, for the larger operations too, um, consistency, and, and, and you could probably comment on this too, Robbie, consistency of barrels, that, that, that's, that's what they're, they're looking for. I mean, the likes of, of me, you know, small, and others that are very, very small, it's, it's a number of individual barrels. But if you're putting an order in for like 50 barrels, 100 barrels or whatever, you want mm. consistency in those barrels. So that must present challenges. Oh, I mean, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I guess when it comes to the supply side, I'll let John answer on the cooperage side in, in a second, but when it comes yeah. to the supply side, that's why we do what we do in, in regards to exclusivity of, of supply. You know, we, that's our main... Barrel Brokers has that philosophy with everyone. We've um, we got exclusivity, exclusivity of supply from our um, partner cooperage over in Spain, J.R. Rodriguez, and... The reason what we do that is because we know what we're going to get every single time, right? We, we, the consistency. Yeah. It's um, it, quality has to be first and foremost, right? But yeah. we have to know that we have the consistent quality, um, and it's the same with our supply partners in the US. Um, you know, we worked through four, five, six different options, and we found the one that we knew that was going to consistently give us the best quality barrels. Um, and, and we can look at our customers and clients in the eyes now and say, listen, you're going to get the best. And if there's one slip through the cracks, which shouldn't, but if it does, then we'll fix it for you and we'll get you a new one. And, and we can do that because we know that our consistency of supply is is there. Um, and, and we do that through our exclusive partnerships. Um, we work really hard on it. It's something that I'm big on. Um, if we deal with someone, we want to know it's exclusive uh, and we're going to have constant um, supply and and we can we can offer everyone what they want when they need it or within a you know reasonable time. Um, yeah. At the moment, it's harder. <laughs> it's, it's it's harder now. I'm going to say, are you, are you finding it but, difficult at the moment? Oh, of course. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, especially out of I mean Spain as well. We we could we our partner JL Rodriguez. We we could place an order with them um, in in 2019 or 20 um, and have containers on the water within two weeks and have them here within eight weeks all right now that's out to you know that 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 window of production because they produce on order um uh which is good because it ensures quality right the quality and, and freshness uh, and that's out to sort of four months you know so if we ordered now it'd be a four months time is that going to continue to happen no i don't think so the world will reset itself and we'll get back but that's what is what it is for now um, the US, the, the new oak market out of the US is crazy timelines. Um, but we work around it, you know. We just, it's, it is what it is. Um, I know that's a, another cliche saying, but that's that's the way we just roll. We're just realists. It, it is what it is. We've got to do what we can do. We'll find you some alternatives if we can't get you in now. And um, But, you know, when you get it, the consistency and, and quality is going to be there. That, that's all that matters to us. Mm. Mm. It just goes to show you what a couple of bad winters and a bottle shortage can do. Um, mm. Obviously, the COVID didn't help. But um, because I, 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 I asked the question, I said, what's, what's going on here? Because you you would see a, a cube of oak for like £3,500 going up to five, six. Then God, it's going absolutely ridiculous. And it's getting wow. to the point where is, is it actually financially worth getting casks made? Because the, the profit margin is getting less and less and less. Um, but in America, they're starting to keep a lot of casks, like your Brown and Foreman, and uh, there's a Heaven Hill and uh, uh, Buffalo, Buffalo Trace. Trace. And that there. 
they're, they're keeping all their casks in house now. They're, they're not letting any go. Um, so there's a yeah. like seven percent of the world market right away. It stopped, and that's the that's the flavour everybody was asking for. Heaven Hill and Buffalo Trace because of the flavour profile the casks are. So yeah, um, people are looking at alternatives. Eh? That's really interesting point to, to touch on to explain to everyone. I think the viewers, you know, would would love to know about what happened in America, which is which is tightened up the supply of bourbon barrels. I want to preface yeah. this by saying that we still. Honestly, we have a constant supply of bourbon barrels, good quality bourbon barrels from the, the from the the main suppliers in in uh, or the main distilleries in, the, in in America, right? But let's talk about why it happened because it's really interesting. <clears throat> Two terrible winters, um, corn crops were bad, barley crops were bad. You know, all the crops were were, were terrible. So that so the so the production was was really low, yields were really low. Um, and then there was a massive glass shortage in China. So, you know, um, your, your makers, Mark Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, were physically not dumping barrels for, for you know, months, waiting for, waiting for bottles. Um, you've got Buffalo Trace that have gone offline. Now they're using all of their barrels internally because they've opened a agave distillery and a rum distillery, so they're using all their barrels for that. There's one-third right. of the market gone. You know, it's just, a, it was the perfect storm, you know, like, yeah, the perfect storm for a, for a short supply. Scotland still needs their bourbon supply, you know, regardless of what the America's uh, emptying, they still need it. Um, you know, we still want to drink good quality, um, you know, affordable whiskey. Um, so they need to be first preference. And I understand that. I don't, I don't begrudge it. But um, there's been a, a, slight, a slight price increase on the stock. And then that coupled with, you know, an exponential increase in freight prices. You know, our our bourbon our bourbon barrel price has gone up a hundred dollars, you know, uh, per barrel. And, and that was and we, we sold we sold bourbon barrels for a hundred dollars less than we are now for years and years and years and years. And there's no price rise, and and I can tell you there's no margin. We're not making. In fact, we, we we've lost margin on our, on our bourbon barrel selling at a hundred dollars more. Um, and it's just m- most of that comes from freight. International freight is it's uh, it, not only is it is it hit or hit or miss. You know, you get rolled for um, container spaces on ships. Um, uh, international freight providers are, are um, selling to the highest bidder. Um, it's yep. just the international freight's the killer, um, and that's where all the price rises. I, I try and explain. Everyone gets it. You know, no one's been. You know, like I looked at it originally and went, "Shit, we're gonna have to go up a hundred dollars." And I was really, I was really, ho- I was horrified, and and I was, you know, because I this is my family, this this industry or this community is my family. And I thought, "Shit, a hundred dollars? How are we gonna cope with that?" No one's really blinked an eye. I'll be honest with you, uh, and especially when we explain to the people that do balk a little bit that there's no this, we're we're taking a bit of a hit to get them to you. Honestly, it's just the way of the world and. When things do correct themselves, and I hope they do, we'll pass that on. Um, but at the moment, this is the world. You know, fuel's gone up, gas has gone up, and and we we're getting rolled for, for spaces. And there's just two bad winters in America. You know, like it is. That's what happens. So that's a really interesting point that I think is really um, is a really good learning piece for everyone. It's um, what what happened and why. Um, and when you explain it to them, everyone goes, "Yeah, right, okay, I understand." Yeah. Well, my just, just to your point, my um, my understanding is uh, 
you know, in, in America, uh, in, in bourbon in particular, they've got to go into new American oak barrels. Um, and that's, that's by law. Um, they're actually now looking at, at that legislation and, and questioning it and saying, well, do we need to change that legislation? Which then means uh, if they don't have to go into new American, uh, especially charred barrels, they can go into secondary barrels and that. That would put even more stress on, on the, uh, the supply chain, wouldn't it, Robbie? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. It would probably kill our supply overnight. Um, do, if the question was, do I think that's going to happen? I don't think it will. Um, yeah, you've got you've got three very very large cooperages over there um, uh, that supply the the bulk amount of new oak barrels to the bourbon industry um, in in the US. And as you said, everyone has to go into a new oak barrel. The thing is that they own. They own the forests. It's not like here, um, where we, where we get logging licenses. They actually own their wood and they own the forest. So they've got a um, a financial interest in in making sure that um, bourbon only goes into into first fill. So yeah. yeah, to answer your question that you asked and one that you didn't, um, yes, it would hurt us. It absolutely would. Um, do I think it's going to happen? I, I don't. There's a bit of noise about it. I don't think it will happen. Yeah, the noise has been about for years actually. I remember hearing about that when I started my apprenticeship. They were talking about that, but yeah. I don't think it will. They're, they're using different types of oak, mind you. There's there is some uh, mixtures of oaks that get mixed in because they're getting short. Short. I mean, the people that own the forest, some of them are just sitting on the laurels and going, "Hmm, I'll just I'll just wait till the price goes away up, yeah, and they're they're going to make a few bucks." But um, either they're sitting. They're, they're sitting pretty at the moment in the, the, uh, over in America, but um, even some of the big players in Scotland have been told you're not getting anywhere near what you want. You're only getting about a third of what you ask for. So some of the big mm. players are they're, they're, they're struggling as well. So it's not just just uh, Australia; it's everywhere, you know. And the, the mm. fact that the French government they held they, they own their forests, the Spanish government owned their forests. And the, the French decided, like, but you're producing far too much barrels. You're doing too quick, so they kind of held cast back. So then it was, they all, every, a lot of people started to go to Hungary for the oak. Um, the the Spanish are obviously governed by the, the government and how they only allow so many trees out every year. So it's it's a delicate uh, balance. But there's enough mm. oak trees in America to last at least two generations minimum. There's plenty of oaks. Mm. Um, oak trees but um, they're planting like crazy in some places and the average oak tree grows twice as fast over there than it does say over here uh, uh, well so over in Scotland sorry kind of thing. it does grow quicker depending on the climate mm. um, so you're talking that they've reduced it into like 70 years to chop a tree down now it never used to be like that but that's how things are going so if they if they're I'll answer, I'll, in, I'll, if they're using sorry you go yeah. No, okay. If you, I'll, I'll Sorry, answer. I'll idea. answer Jim's. Um, I'm just. I'm just reading Jim's question. I think there's, Bella. there's still a. Um, hi, 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 Robbie. Can your ex-bourbon barrels sit too long in storage prior to refilling? Um, I guess well, the answer to that is yes, they can sit. I think what Jim's asking is um, sort of how long do we allow, um, and how long do we recommend? Oh, our well. Having a bourbon barrel sitting too long in um, storage would be a luxury at the moment. Um, we don't even, we can't even, we, we can barely even get them to land here in containers before they're sold. Um, 
trying to hold stock is the issue. Um, but yes, uh, absolutely, Berber barrels can 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 land um, and sit too too long. Um, the ideal situation if, is if you if you can't fill a bourbon barrel um, straight away, put it in the um, the closest conditions to a um, a wine cellar or out of out of wind and um, you know direct heat. Um, I'll let John speak further on that. You know, um, but he any barrels that we do get the luxury of sitting for a long time, he's also in charge of our um, quality assurance. So. If they've been sitting for um, you know for for a number of weeks, and he'll check them and make sure they're okay before they go out. But I'll let him talk about the conditions best to store a bourbon barrel in if you buy it and can't fill it for say a month or so. Yeah, it's just just keep obviously like Robbie was saying, it all depends on the temperature. At certain times of year, it becomes harder to do, um, but uh, the wind, believe it or not, dries a cask out quicker than the heat. The wet, the, the, so you're better keep. Put water inside your cask, at least a, a good two litres, depending. If you're not going to use it for a while, you need to make sure there's lo- and rotate your casks. Don't just leave them sitting on their side or, in the, or on their end for weeks and weeks. You've got to rotate your stock, make sure that the inside of the cask, all of it is constantly moist. If, you're, if they're in a warehouse, dampen the floor down with water, enough to increase the humidity. Uh, I do know um, that they use uh, humidifiers in the warehouses that they store the casks in America, mm. just to, for, uh, in the hot mm. weather kind of thing, just enough to keep the, the moisture. So you've got a bit of moisture on the outside, and you've definitely got moisture on the inside, at least minimum couple of litres. Because um, when they when they fill the casks nowadays, or sorry, when they empty the casks, they fill them full of hot water to then draw the in drink, and then they use that. They, let, they put the casks away in a warm environment, and then they bring them back and. Some more of the bourbon will have come out of the wood mixed with the water, and then they've used, they use that then to water down what came out of the cask in the first place. All right. So yeah. then what they're doing then is that they'll put some more water in them before they put them in the container. Because if they're going to sit in a container for minimum six weeks, depending on where they're going, and if they're sitting out in direct heat, it's, it's sometimes when you open that, that back door of that container and then that, that rush of strong alcohol bourbon smell hits you, Mm. And uh, very rare cases the, the castle will, will leak because the moisture in there is so high inside the cask mm. and they are sweating, so it causes a lot of humidity inside the container. So that and then acts like a steam box and it keeps them keeps them tight. But mm. um, I was told by my journeyman, the cask got emptied the discarding unit. If you're going to sit it outside, if you left it anymore, then well, what he said in the summertime, 24 hours. You left it on any more than 24 hours, all bets were off. In the winter time, you could get away with it a bit more. You could stand it up, you put a wee drop of water in it, put water on the end. The the weather would do, the, the rain would do that with Scotland being so rainy, if it could do the rest, you get away with it for weeks and weeks. But then you, you get to a point where if the water sits in it too long, it gets stagnant and uh, mm. you, you're, it starts to turn. So obviously, rotate your clock, make sure that mm. your cask with water in it is warmed up. And make sure that it's constantly getting a, a soak down, uh, and you'll be fine. You'll get longer with it. It doesn't. It doesn't last inevitably. It's just it gets to the point where people like myself have got to have to take the hoops in, got to hand harden them, uh, mm. and compress them a wee bit. It's unfortunate, but that's when it sits for a long time. Yeah, I'd maybe say a, a, bit, a month to two months. You get away with it. Depending on certain times of the year, water in, keeping them damp. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. In this. Climate anyway, like Robbie said, it's a, to have casts sitting that long would be, it would be a novelty kind of thing. But um, if you're going to purchase casts and you're not going to use them 
in the immediate future, future and you're going to purchase them for the sake of just buying them, you're going to have to put up with some failures um, if you don't maintain your cash properly, maintain, rotate mm. your stock. So it's all doing the planning. Talking about um, the, the opening the containers that, that John just touched on, I, I just want to tell you another little ang- uh, anecdotal bloody story. Um, we imported some <clears throat> um, genuine uh, Caribbean uh, or Jamaican bourbon, uh, sorry, Jamaican rum casks. Right. From one of the largest producers over there in Jamaica. Um, we can't say their name, but if you Google the largest producer in Jamaica, you'll find out. <clears throat> um, and uh, it's it's really funny that they, they use a high high ester or, or really high cuts um, in in their rum. Yeah. And and I found out on my trip over to the US that that actually started during the time where um, they were at war with the UK and that, and and they're actually trying to poison people over in the UK and they were, they were making it really high, high ester count rum. And they and thought they thought that would kill them. Anyway, it didn't kill them and they loved it and they thought, yeah. shit, this is profitable. So um, they, they kept this these high cuts. Um, uh, I got a full container load of them, had a group of five blokes there like I do when every time there's a, um, there's a container come in. We opened the doors, and no joke, we. I said to the guys, "Go, go down the street, get a coffee, get a croissant or something." This gonna, and we had to literally walk away from this um, container for an hour to let it. You, if you had have walked in there, the vapors, you would have passed out. <laughs> it was beautiful, fresh, fresh as you can get. You know, Jamaican yeah. um, rum cast, and it was it was nice. gr- it was a great experience. But um, that's how, yeah. Like these these boxes, they they stay so moist and so. Um, they, it's just it's just it's funny what a container does, you know. Keeping barrels inside a shipping container, you, you could probably keep them in there for such a long time because they're just they're just so. The the climate in there is so perfect for for barrels, you know. And um, yeah, mm. it, it blew my mind having to step away from this thing, going, I'm gonna pass out if I if I stand close to this thing for too long, and we had to actually go down and get some some smoko. So there you go. Smoko, yeah. John, <laughs> smoko is a term. It doesn't mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm getting used to that. <laughs> we, were, we were talking I'm about that. I'm trying to get used to that. Yeah, the terminology smoko. It sort of implies everyone uh, smokes. It's a dedicated yeah. break to, to uh, I, don't, I don't smoke, yeah. But <laughs> believe it or not, like, you know, at this point where we're at in 2022 and we've grown over the last... I'm still empty and containers you know like i'm still there i'm still with the guys we're uh, and i'm not on the forklift that's barney gets on the forklift he, he's a he's a lazy lazy anyway <clears throat> but i'm still <laughs> hauling barrels out and loading them on and you know it's it's uh it's a job you know what i say i say it's a job that i can complete that's yeah. what i say to my wife alana who's also you know runs the business with me it's a job that i complete I, I get to work in the morning and i have 30 emails and when i go home and i have 40 Right, yeah. it'll never end. Emptying a container, I get to complete it, and it's it, it's it's good. I enjoy it. <laughs> you know, it's satisfying. So, um, it's physical work too, isn't it? It is. Very yeah, yeah. Way, so I still do it, and I think even if we grew to a point where John was there in Corowa and we had the site in New Zealand and we we're employing five hundred people or whatever, I'd 
I'd still be on the end of a container unloading. I really, I love, I love container days. Yeah. Yeah. The only problem is you'd, you'd have uh, 150 emails at the end of the day on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to work on distributing my emails to other places, but that's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> You just go to the top and go, to just delete 10. It just takes the load off. If it's really important, they'll write back. Any, anyone that's sitting here listening to this going, oh, this is this guy that took 10 days to reply to me will now know why. Yeah. <laughs> oh. he's, he's mucking around in containers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you talk we've about... We've uh, just hit the hour mark, so... All right. Okay. Just hit the hour mark. There's a little yep. ding ding. Um, yeah, John, I'll t tell you the story I had with barrels. Um, so um, I had these um, 225 brick barrels and I didn't have anywhere to put them in the shed. They weren't, they weren't I, wa I wasn't going to fill them straight away, so I put them outside and um, thought they'll be okay out there. You know, it was fairly cool, you know, a bit of rain, as you said, so I thought that'd be good. Anyway, go back um, a couple of weeks later and look at them. And there's these big holes in the wood, big holes. And it was like someone had a drill bit, right, and it drilled mm. holes in the barrels. And I went, freaking hell, what's, what's going on here? And then oh. I saw a little beetle come out, and it was a, it was a wood borer. And what oh, I'd done is, I'd, unbeknownst to me, I'd, I'd set the barrels close to some old um, uh, ironbark um, wood uh, planks, they're just sitting outside uh, for old sleepers. Sleepers, yeah, they're sleepers. Actually, you're right, they're sleepers. And uh, yeah, so the bugs needed wanted fresh wood, and they destroyed the cast. So I'm shaking my yeah, head this, because this. I know the story. They're a good cast that we sacrificed yep. the bugs. Oh no, no good. Last week. You sometimes you get the wine cast with the wooden hoops on them, the the, the hickory hoops on them, and um, the chestnut hoops on them as well, and that's to stop them from eating the, the oak. It's the, the the aroma that comes off the chestnut hoops entices them eat the the hoops instead of the cask. Um, oh, right. Yeah, that's but a lot of the times when you do the where where the the head goes into the crows, that's the thinnest part. Of where the spirit you get your angel share or your, your evaporation comes from. So right. this is where the, a lot of the borers go. They go right in that wee sharp piece, and it's really hard to fix a leaker in there if it's a perfectly drilled hole caused right. by the beetle. Um, mm. You've usually got to use I think like a brug. It's called we call it. It's like a spike, and you hammer it right in, and you go put a wooden uh, wooden spile in. But finding the holes is bad enough. But uh, to have borers, I've I've seen casts like. In, in Scotland, when you're if you're repairing a cask that's got wor woodworm in it, you've got to remember the woodworm's eating into the cask and it's basically passing the as it's eating if the the, the, the wood that's out his backside's coming to sawdust, so it's blocking the hole behind it. So as the years go on, you fill a cask and you'll see a wee, wee spout of whiskey or spirit coming out, and then you'll go like that and you'll you you plug it up, then you'll notice another one. And then you go like that, you plug it up, and then you'll notice another one. So there might be a bit, the most plugs I've put in a cask is about 15, 16. And it was just because you couldn't see the holes because the sawdust had blocked up, but just to me changing and the pressure building up, blew another one, blew another one, blew another one. Uh, but they're quite common. And I remember uh, getting told the story because with the wine cask, when uh, we started buying a lot of wine casks over in Scotland, 
in uh, Carntine at the time were complaining that they had to replace all the floors and the inside of the back of their, their lorries because they were completely rotten and eaten away by the wood borers. Wow. Okay, so it's not yeah. unique to us. <laughs> it, it is a major problem out there. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's got that way because obviously the wine casks, at one point a lot of Scotland was buying a lot of wine casks yeah. because the, the bourbon casks were quite expensive. Um, so they thought, ah, we'll, we'll go with the wine. But what you tend to find is in the whisk industry, a lot of the wine casks, they do produce amazing flavours, but they're not robust enough to take the, the hustle and bustle of getting through all the, the big spirit stores and bashing against each other. And the breakers, the broken casks just... Uh, break really easily, uh, and, and obviously in France, it, it, wherever when they make the cast, they like furniture and they treat them nice and gentle, and they're careful. But in the whisky industry in Scotland, a lot of it's like get the barrels out, get the barrels, get them filled, get them filled, and they're bashing and getting smacked off of other casks, and the lifespan gets reduced. French oak is like, as you know yourself, you've ever pulled a French oak cask over compared to an American oak. The, the weight difference can be near enough half. Uh, the, mm. it's, it's a beautiful wood and it produces amazing flavours but as in ro being robust it's quite low in the scale of strength Yeah, I, re I remember the first time in Scotland seeing barrels being rolled off, off lorries on, onto mattresses a couple of piled up mattresses yep. first time I saw it yep. I thought holy hell that, that, yeah. you know, it'll just come apart but uh, yeah they <laughs> They're robust. Still do that. We do do some, that. We do them. We do them on the tractor tires, crafty. Yeah, yeah. When Australian they come off way. the back of when they come off the back of um, flat tray um, semis, yeah, yep. onto, onto a onto a tractor tire. Mm. Yeah, and hope they don't bounce. Oh, <laughs> you've got to make sure they land directly on their side, mind you. But um, I can remember. I remember one time the the canteen boy rolling a casket from the top and a lot of the casks were uh, end fills so sometimes when the, the the machine that sucks out the whiskey doesn't quite get it all because with the time from the bottom of the pipe which can be four foot four foot long then you've yeah. got the pipe that snakes all the way up to the valve so the amount of spirit or whiskey that's held between the valve and the bottom of the pipe when it stops sucking it falls all the way back in but there right. must have been a, a big a definite big flaw, and I can remember mm. the canteen boy shoving this barrel at the back of the lorry, and it hit the mat, and it just stopped dead. And I went, "Was that one full?" And he was like, "Well, it felt like there was something in it, and it was three quarters full of bourbon." <laughs> yeah. That just had to get poured in the drain. Oh God! Oh. Yeah, pouring whiskey, pouring whiskey down the drain. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, when I worked in the Cooperage in Scotland, uh, uh, in average every cask, you were probably getting at least about a litre, maybe two litres in some of them, um, the bourbon, just because the, the, it sweats in the back of the container, it takes so long. So every time, every ASB I was opening up, was, it was full, of, like loads of it, and it was all over the floor. And in and, and average, there was, there was a bit, the Cooperage was putting about a thousand casks a week repaired. So you can imagine if every cask got at least a couple of litres of water, or, or sorry, bourbon in it, and it's mm. just going all over the floor because you can't drink it. You're not allowed to put it in a bottle. No, it used to years ago, most of the older coopers I worked with, they were 
they liked a dram, and that was what basically what made them function was their, their dram in the morning. Mm-hmm. That was my that's how my my, my grandfather back in his day they says he did they, they gave you free drums in the morning and free drums in the afternoon. He didn't want to do it, but he was told by his journeyman, you're doing it because we're all doing it. But obviously at the same time they were also stealing whiskey for the warehouse. Um because it was just that easy to do then. Hey, but that, these days it's impossible. Unless you want to get sacked. <laughs> hmm. Did you just expose up. another puppy gate? Is this another puppy gate? <laughs> oh. Shit. Okay. Uh, this could be another documentary. Oh. So, I, I I've heard the story of um, yeah, way back way back in the years, uh, people filling gumboots and uh, walk, walking out the walking out the distillery with gumboots sloshing. It's like Jesus, you really want your whiskey, don't you? Well, I remember getting told a story by the, the, one of the coppersmiths telling us, he said there was a, a, a roofing firm that came in to the distillery, when I, Canvas distillery when I was an apprentice. Yeah. And the two guys walked across the yard with a 15-foot length of downpipe, plastic downpipe. And then yeah. they walked back about an hour later, and as they were walking across the yard, it was bouncing up and down. And, like, <laughs> there. and they'd managed to fill it full of whiskey and cap it off, and they got halfway across the yard, and the security caught them. Um, but there was a coppersmith uh, canvas uh, who actually made quite a bit of money on the side making belts. He would get a piece of brass pipe and squash it till it was an oval, put it yeah. in a, a curve, weld it shut, put a belt on it, and then put a cap on the top. And that, yet people wore it around their waist, under their jacket, and under their clothes. And they used to walk out with the, the drug that fur <laughs> spirit every day. Um, that was the way because uh, the customs and excise couldn't understand it one time. Where where are the coopers getting the, this whiskey? Where's this whiskey coming from? But what they didn't realise was after it was it came out the disgorging unit, and the casts sat outside in the blazing sunshine, they started to sweat. Yeah. And what you were getting was at least a good three four liters of in drink settling in the bottom. And uh, <laughs> this is what it was. It was the best of stuff. And. Uh, they were, couldn't understand why the customs are like, but it's, they're deemed as empty by law, so where, where's it coming from? But that was a trick that Cooper's known for for years. Uh, I remember one of the Coopers, when I first started, he used to, he would get a, a, pint, a pint bottle and fill it full of hot water and pour it into the cask, seal the cask up, harden the cask really tight to compress the wood, to encourage the heat in the hot water to pull the in-drink out, and then sit it next to the old steam pipe at, at the bottom of the bench, and it used to sweat and let it sit there for about a, a day and a half, two days, and you get a good three litres of it. <laughs> Adapt and overcome, Aye. as we said. Oh, that's it. The best of stuff. <laughs> oh, I've got lots of stories like that. Again. I'll just say this: this goes to YouTube. So uh, who knows? There, there may be some uh, some uh, old, retired old people that pick up on it and go. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so the next barrel that we degorge, Crafty, do you mind if I look after it for a little while? Yeah. <laughs> Stories that I've been told over the years and the things I've witnessed. Um, but you could write a book, and the characters as well in the whiskey industry. Um, Mark, well, my grandfather, being a cooper, um, he, he liked a dram. And it was obviously his downfall at one point. He ended up with getting half his stomach taken away. He had an ulcer. 
So at that time, obviously the operation that he got, they went to give him a like an epidural. I think it was, they hit a nerve in the bottom of his spine, so it paralysed him on the left. I think it was the left hand side. His leg was in a caliper. So yeah, he actually had a bike with one pedal, and it, somebody stole that bike. They must have got a shock when they tried to bugger off with it with one pedal on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but he used, to, he used to go home every day. Used to go home every day with a wee quarter bottle. If you if you remember the old bikes, old rally bikes used to get, and they had like a wee white pouch that sat in the back that used to hold your spanners and all that kind of thing. But yeah, a quarter right. bottle used to fit just perfectly, and he used to go home with a quarter bottle every day. Um, but that didn't in include the drink that he had drunk already during the day. That when he was repairing the casks, it was lying in the bottom. All the coopers were the same; they were just that readily available. Yeah. Now, what are you drinking tonight, John? Ah, well, I am on. I don't know if you can see it. So do I have to let Dean know that you've been working there and you just wandered out with that in your one-pedal bicycle? I don't know what happened. I just I just happened to turn around and it was it was just there. And I thought, well, when in Rome, eh? So um, <laughs> it's delicious. It's, it's matured in red wine cast. And I think this is the... Because uh, when we went to the, the wine and food festival, I tried along... The list, and that was the one that I liked the most. It was absolutely delicious. Uh, matured, and you get a, a French oak and a bit of American oak and that. Um, really nice, really nice. I've got to say I'm impressed so far. Like I said earlier on, I need to start to go through the rest of the inventory of Corolla just to make sure it's all right and it's up to standard, the Scottish standard that is. So, um, I've still got a fair bit to go yet. I'm only, half, I'm only about halfway down, so I'll, I'll, get, I'll get there. You only really got that today. Hang on, you got that at five pm. Come on, I'm a Scotsman. That's just, that's just enough to give me a good rift in the morning. <laughs> that's a broad jam. It goes down too easy. <laughs> so you'd you'd be looking forward to ripping into some of the Australian wine casks and New Zealand wine casks and different yeah, flavors. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the wine side of things. Enough. I've repaired oh, God knows how many wine casts over the years, but it's a the wine is a side I don't know much about, and it's a side a side I'd really like to more find out more about it, and go to a lot of wineries and sample the goods kind of thing. Um, I've never drunk much wine in my my, my career. Uh, it's always been whiskey, so this is a learning curve for me on that side. So I'm looking forward to that part. Um, yeah. The sample. Yeah. I mean that, that's that's exciting for you, isn't it? Because it, it's not that you're you're coming over and you're going to be doing the same same. It's it, it's it's completely yeah. different um, operation. Yeah, you're the man. Robbie's going to give you the space, and um, yeah. yeah, it's it's, it's exciting times ahead for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah, definitely. In the... Absolutely. As I was yeah. saying to you earlier, so just so the viewers know, the Murray River Cooperage, right? I'm based down. You know. We've got three sites, as I, as I said to you. I'm based down in the Yarra Valley. John's in charge up there at Corowa. You know, he's, he's in charge of the Cooper. I'm not a Cooper, and I've never professed to be one. Right? I've never told anyone I am. Um, you know, the finer details. I know a lot about barrels, but I'm not a Cooper, and I haven't done that apprenticeship, so I, I, I never professed to be one. Um, we've got John here, and he's in charge. That, that Cooperage is his, and he runs it as his own. And... Um, and I'll give him that space to do it. And, and um, he's setting it up at the moment. And I reckon uh, 
realistically, probably six weeks um, to get it set up, running properly, and um, and, it's, and it's going to be him. And it, it, when you talk, when you when you call, email, um, message on Instagram or whatnot, uh, that the Murray River Cooperage, you're going to be speaking to people that, or, you know, John and and people that he trains and really know about coopering seriously know about coopering you know like you know a, a generation in the coopering industry and um and and if there's no if there's an answer that he can't if there's a question he can't answer then it's not worth knowing mate that, that's all there is to it and, and it's his thing and i want him to run with it and and, and we're excited about where we're going it's a really really exciting uh time coming up like i said to you oh, i say if the press is uh, no questions a stupid question at the end of the day, there's, I've, I've, I've learned a lot in 32 years and I've worked with a lot of different guys in the business um, and I'm still learning. And I'm looking forward to meeting some of the Coopers over here as well. I'd like to hear their story, uh, see what, how they've they've done in the business over the years um, and work with them as well as the distillers as well. You know, it's I'm over here to impart knowledge and pass knowledge on to make sure that um, Australia is not losing out on, especially distillers at the end of the day. I've heard a lot of scary stories about people getting ripped off with fake casks and all that kind of thing and I'm very passionate about my, my, my trade um, being a family family uh, tradition uh, for me anyway. And my brother still works over in Scotland. Uh, I tried to get him over but he's he's a bit busy at the moment but he says maybe sometime in the future but um, he's still we'll there. We'll get him here. Uh, my cousin's still working as a cooper over in the same cooperage, um, so it's it's. Uh, I'm very passionate about it, and I'm always learning. Um, there's so much to learn, um, but if, now that I'm over here and I need to talk to all you guys and I need to meet people in the industry, cooper or distiller, winemaker, I need I need to hear your side of the story. And uh, the cooperage is I've got an open door policy. If you want to come and have a word or talk and even learn some things, we can accommodate you. It's an open book. And it's yeah. important for us. It's important for us, Crafty. We, we're, um, like I said, I, I took John with me on his third day here to Sydney. Um, I'm going to take him over to Tasmania in the next um, couple of weeks. I, I want him to come out and meet everyone, you know, and, 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 um, and and explain to them what we have going on here, and you know the the, the lineage that we we have, and the knowledge that we have. Um, it's important to me. Um, and um, yeah, geez, I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. It's, it's going to be amazing. And at the end of the day, if if we can just help, um, if we can help the community and the industry, uh, then I'm happy. Uh, obviously. We need to make yeah. a few dollars. That's what business is about. But, um, course, you know, sir. we want to help as much as we can. Bridge that gap and, and get everyone's knowledge up. And, and um, it's exciting times. So we, we, we're going to do it. It's, uh, I have no doubt. Mate, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's um, definitely. You can hear the passion in, in, in both your voices. Um, yeah, you're, on, you're on a mission. It's, it, it's clear. Uh, it's exciting times to be here. Um, there's a lot of opportunities opening up there, John. And uh, what's really yeah. nice is, John, you're showing humility there uh, in, in your last comments, uh, which I thought was really, really nice. It, it just shows, as you said, you can be in an industry for a long time, 
but you keep an open mind. I want to continue to learn that thirst of knowledge. Mm. That's what uh, that's what drives passion. Yeah. So, uh, mate, congrats on that. That's definitely. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Absolutely. My firm, I would say to apprentices as well over the years, I say there's no I in team. You've got to learn, and every day is a school day. So mm. learn for your mistakes and be humble about it. Yeah. Don't be a, think you know everything because you don't <laughs> And you'll always find somebody who knows more than you. Uh, so just learn from it. Yeah. And you now know that smoko is not an official break and we don't all <laughs> smoke. So uh, that's that's the learning for the day for you there, John. <laughs> all good. All right, guys. Well, right, on that right. note, so, so, so hang on. Just because we have one of our... Um, our sponsors on board tonight. So do you want to just go through our sponsors? Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll quickly run through our sponsors. So, yes, we're a professional um, uh, podcaster. So we have... Uh, we actually give us money occasionally. We give us money, yep. So uh, it helps to buy things like video gear and uh, and produce beer coasters, which uh, <laughs> there were a few of those at the ADA conference there, Robbie. I don't know if you managed to see them, but they were everywhere. <laughs> Shoot the shit uh, bear coasters. So, oh, really? Um, yeah, they, they, were, they were around about. Okay, so um, obviously um, one of our sponsors tonight, uh, Barrel Brokers. So if you'd like to know more about Barrel Brokers, um, get on their website um, and also check out the Cooperage, Murray River Cooperage. Also check out um, uh, Mount Slide Distilling Co., which is uh, Robbie's uh, distillery operation, and also what was the other one, Robbie? The uh, independent bottling, uh, Barrel House, Barrel House 28, Barrel House 28, independent bottler. So, Robbie is not shy on taking on things. Um, <laughs> next to Barrel Warriors, we have Burns Welding Fabrication in Griffith, uh, for distilling equipment, uh, tanks, brewery equipment as well. Then we have Wayne Oak, um, Andrew Young, Cooperage. Cooper's from the Barossa. So that's who chimed in earlier on, uh, John, uh, asking about the yeah. the apprenticeship, um, um, in, end of apprenticeship um, thing. So then we have CCL, uh, producers of labels uh, for the industry and the wine industry. Saverglass, a uh, major bottle supplier in, in Australia. Transwood Cooperage, uh, Dave and Laurie down in uh, Tassie. Um, I think you know them. So, um, yep, the Cooperage down at one of the Cooperages down in Tassie. And then Wild Wogan, which is uh, spring water, natural spring water uh, from the Wogan Valley, which is not that far from my shed. And that's where my water comes from for making my whiskey. So, um, yeah, so thanks to all and our we, sponsors. And we do honestly thank all of our sponsors for being such great sports putting up with us. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. No, they're, they're an important part. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll wrap it up now, guys. Um, John, we'll leave you with your bottle there and, and have a have a nightcap. Oh, definitely. <laughs> have a wee grand, yeah. I might, well, I might see it. I've got. I'm not. I'm not promoting anything here, but I do like a rusty nail, so that might be my nightcap. A drum view and a whiskey mix, delicious. Right now, you need Beautiful. to just find the Australian equivalent of a drum view, and I'm sure there's something out there, isn't yeah, there, Robbie? Absolutely. I've, that's, I'm sure I'm there is. Mission. 
It'll be out there. Definitely. I've still to try all these fortified wines. I'm looking forward to that. Well, I think at this slow. stage you have to look down in Tassie, but anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll forge ahead. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Thanks John. Guys. Good on you guys. Uh, we'll, no worries. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having us. Yep. Appreciate it. And we'll, we'll catch, we'll catch you around the, uh, the community, eh? I can't go to an event without running into you, mate. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll uh, have a cuddle at some stage soon. Yeah, we'll yeah, catch up soon. It's a bit like Colgate. It gets in everywhere. <laughs> That's all right. Good on you, lads. Cheers. All right, all right guys. We'll see you around. Yeah. Thanks. Bye -bye.